Wonderful. Well, I've got a 73-point sermon this morning, so I thought I'd start a bit early. <laughs> I'm joking. It's 71. <clears throat> uh, we're starting a new series today. I wonder if I could have my slide. I've not seen it yet. Is it going to look... Uh, yeah, yeah colourful. <laughs> disciple. Follow. Everybody say disciple. A little while ago, uh, Chris and I were sharing... Uh, about how we want to develop our culture to make sure that we're making disciples. Jesus told us to make disciples. And uh, we must ensure that as a church, we are not simply uh, filling home-based groups or uh, projects and plans. All those things can be really good. The thing that Jesus actually said was make disciples, right? Because we want to come out changed. You are God's work of art. He is committed to transforming you. Turn to the person next to you and say, you need to change. And then turn back to them and you can reply, you're one to talk. (laughs) Yeah, look in the mirror, pal, you know. You know, we're here to be disciples. And I really like what Darren shared. It really confirmed because What I've got to say is one of those tougher kind of talks, but I feel it's from God. Is that okay? Well, even if it's not, thank you, both of you. You're getting it anyway. So um, uh, God takes us through stuff in our journey. And if we're going to be disciples, it can't just all be jelly babies uh, and sugar donuts. Right? We've got to eat our broccoli too. So a bit of a broccoli morning this morning. Is that okay? Everyone's on holiday and we're getting a broccoli morning. It's not fair, is it? We're not on holiday. Anyway. Wonderful. So um, I want to talk about being uh, a disciple. And we spoke about three particular areas, life of service, life of outreach, and a life in circles. In other words, life of service. Uh, Service is part of our worship, living for God in service. If we're a disciple, we will be doing something to help others with God's help. Um, uh, a life of, of outreach, we will be reaching people for God. That's what we're here to do. Go into all the world, preach, publish, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then a life in circles, we're meant to live out of community. And if we're missing one of those three pillars, we're missing something in the life of discipleship. The truth is, it's easy to be in a church and never be challenged to reach people. It's actually easy to live and walk through a journey of a church and never get into service and worship. And I don't just mean be in the worship team. Uh, It's easy actually to be in church, but all your friendships are outside of the church. You just do tasks within the church. And again, that's not discipleship. Not that it's wrong to have friends outside the church, but we've got to have deep relationships because actually kingdom stuff happens in deep relationships, right? And so we're working at these areas and trying to develop them. And so I want to start with a scripture. It should come up behind me. It's 2 Timothy 2.20. There it is. And let me read this to you um, because I'm, I'm concentrating down onto the area of a life of service or literally a life of worship a life of giving ourselves to work with God and to be his fellow laborers, okay? 2 Timothy 2.20 says this, in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some are for special purposes and some for common use. Verse 21, those who cleanse themselves from the latter 
will be instruments for special purposes, made wholly useful to the master, prepared for any good work. Now, there's a slightly different version behind me, actually. So a couple of different words. Let me read it again. In a large house is articles not only of gold and silver, but of wood and clay. Some are for noble uses. Say noble. noble. I like that word. And some for ignoble. Say ignoble. <laughs> Turn to person next to you go, ignoble. It's just a good word, isn't it? It's just kind of, you feel slightly rude saying it. Okay, ignoble, common use. Those who cleanse themselves, catch this. We sometimes think who I am is who I am and therefore that's my lot in life. But that's not the way the Bible puts it. If you see favour, if you see authority, if you see the goodness of God on a life, it's there for a reason. Because those who cleanse themselves from being ignoble, right, from the latter, will be instruments for noble purposes, made holy, useful. Can you say useful? Yes. To the master. Can you say the master? I mean, I, I know that we teach children, first of all, Jesus is your friend. And then we go from friend to father. But at some point, he's got to become Lord and master. Yes. There's a question. Is he your master today? Boss? When he orders, do we kind of shoot and get there? It's a great question, isn't it? Because if we don't, have we embraced discipleship? Or do we have some kind of nice, fluffy, modern, Western version of Christianity? We'll call it churchianity because it's not real discipleship. We look like a disciple sat next to us because we sing the songs and we smile, we pray the prayers, we hope for God's blessing on our lives. But listen, we're here to serve a master prepared to do any good work. We have got to cleanse our hearts from the ignoble and become noble. I want to talk about having a noble heart this morning, ready to do God's greater purposes and God's greater works. And it says here that we cleanse ourselves of the ignoble. Darren talked about time to turn over the soil, time to bring a change, time to be prepared to receive the seed of God's favour and blessing and increase on our lives. But we can't just sit back and go, well, Jesus, bless me. If I lie on the carpet and sing enough songs, then I'll get, I'll get blessed. No, listen, who knows it's a deep heart work? Anybody ever been through it? And who knows that he doesn't come and knock on the door and say, by the way, I'm about to start a deep heart work. Stuff just happens. And here's the key. He doesn't come and announce that something's about to happen. And here's the point, right? Who knows that church life can be difficult, your walk with God. It's easy for the first three years. But to be still here 30 years, I don't mean here in this room, I mean in the kingdom, in the church, wherever God leads you. To be still engaged with God requires, well, the word that I've just used, engagement. Say engagement. In other words, I've got to cooperate. I've got to connect. I've got to turn up, not just in body, but in heart. And sometimes it's like, it can be that our hearts become dull and a shadow of what they should be. So we go through the motions. Ever been there? You go through the motions. You're turning up. You're singing the songs. You're hoping to find something from God. But actually, to really walk with God for decade after decade requires purposeful, conscious engagement with God. And let me tell you the other great thing it requires. You're going to love me this morning. Humility. Thank you, Lee. It's the only one in the room smiling at me right now. Love you, brother. You can come and sit on the front row every time. Okay. We've got to cleanse ourselves 
from the We've got to engage. Jacob met with God in a dream, but actually he was still pretty, I've preached this before, pretty selfish afterwards. After meeting God in an awesome place, he says, okay, God, if you're good to me, I'll serve you. If you bless me, I'll give you a tithe. I bet God was in heaven going, very generous of you, uh, Jacob. Then he goes through a journey. Who knows? Our hearts go through journeys. Better to become better, not bitter. Our hearts go through journeys. And he finds himself. He called that place the house of God. He comes to a place he eventually calls the face of God. And that's where he wrestles with God. And he comes out, instead of saying, well, if you're good to me, I'll follow you. He comes out saying, thank God I'm not dead. I lived through it. God, you're my God. See, something happens in our hearts when we have to turn over from ignoble to noble and say, right, I'm in this and I'm in it for the right reasons and I'm going after God. Now, here's the good news. It's a process. It's a process of him making us a work of art. You see, you've got this great little phrase that Jesus said in Matthew 22. It said, many are called Few are chosen. It's a funny statement, isn't it? Many are called. Few are chosen. The word chosen there literally means choice. Many are called, few are choice. Few make themselves choice. You ever had a choice piece of meat? Come on. Ever? You've been to some steak places, right? Sorry, vegetarian. Sorry, mum. Just stick with your lettuce for a minute. We're going to talk meat. <laughs> And, and there are some, I grade my steaks. I've got a top 10 of steaks of restaurants around the world. And, and I'll sit there and, and, you know, Vicky will say to me, so how is it? And I'm not even top 10. I mean, for heaven's sake, you know, look where we are. And then other times she sees the look on my face. She knows. And I'm going. <sighs> and she's saying top 10. I'm like, higher. <laughs> Is it the peppercorn sauce? No. Have you, have you ever had one of those steaks with a red hot plate in front of you, a, a stone, and you, 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 you cook it on the stone yourself, and I'm there, mm. oh, there's this restaurant called Gaucho's in Gibraltar, and I'm cooking it on the stone, putting it in, and I'm going, no, Vicky, top three. This is top three. <laughs> it's choice. It's beautiful. Many are called, few make themselves choice. God is an equal opportunity employer. He doesn't have favorites, but some make themselves favorites. By taking an ignoble heart that we all start with, don't think it's unfair, we've all started with an ignoble heart. And then my journey is to become like Christ. And if I look at the picture of Christ, it's a picture of service and humility. And in order to share in glory, I share in suffering. Suffering is the pathway to glory. What does that mean to us? Does it mean he's going to give me some kind of sickness? No, no, no. Catch it. Um, I die to self and then I live for him. I bury my old life and then I'm seated in heavenly places. There's a change that goes on inside of us. That's extremely powerful and you cannot fake it and you cannot live this life without it. God does not want to improve you. He wants to kill you. Excuse me, preach it. No, I don't mean with a knife or a gun. Nothing like that. This is not, let's, it's not let's improve your ignoble heart. It's let, let me give you a new heart. Yeah. Cleanse yourself of the latter. Embrace the former and you're ready for noble purposes with God.
And so I want to talk a little bit about a noble heart. This is all of our journey. We're all on this. And um, I want to talk about some of the aspects of a noble heart. What is God looking for? And if we want to rise as disciples in service, what will leaders be looking for as they seek out? God is a God who seeks and searches. And all of us will serve leaders at times who are looking. I'm looking for a noble heart. I'm looking for someone who has the right ingredients to give favour to and to rise into a new place in God. I'm looking for those who want to step from ignoble to noble, ready for the master's purpose. Churches fly when loads of people are going, right, let's get, get rid of my ignoble heart. Let's get a noble heart in. Right, let's get on with the job and change this region. Amen. And so a noble heart. Here's the first one. A noble heart is hungry to learn. If ever your appetite for learning goes, worry. You're backsliding already. Because God's always on the move. All you've got to do is stand still to backslide. Right. And, and now I, I, I can't imagine what it'd be like at 76. I won't look in anybody's direction. But at 46, I'm going, oh, come on, God, get my learning curve steeper. I never want to go. This is it. I never want to take the thing that I learned at 20, build a castle around it and go, right. My job for the rest of my life is to defend the first thing I learned about God. That's how some Christians live. They spend their lives defending the culture that they were first born again into. Not realising it's a walk, people. Change is part of the journey. If the scenery isn't changing, you're dying. You've been at this mountain long enough. Move on. If you're more in love with the method than the mission, you're dying. We've always got to be learning, always got to be rising in God to the next place. Have a heart to learn. Never stop reading. Never stop listening. Have a passion to run after the things of God. I read it the other week. I'll read it again. Those who aren't following Jesus aren't his followers. It's as simple as that. Followers follow. And those who don't follow aren't followers. It's a quote by Scott McKnight. It's deep, isn't it? I'm not following. I come along. I sit. I sing. I listen. I go and hope that that's relieved my guilt and got me a ticket to heaven. That's not what it's about. It's about transforming the inside so that we transform an outside community. It's about being a fire like we saw. Brilliant presentation, James. But we have to become that fire. Wesley said, Methodist, I set myself on fire and the whole world came to watch. Let me tell you, that took a suffering on the inside that said, God, I give myself to you. Noble hearts are passionate to learn, not to say, hey, I'm 46, I've topped out. Listen, I know some people saying I'm 26 and I've topped out. But I know some people that are 86 going, I'm here to learn. I'm here to learn. I'm here to learn. Never, never stop. This isn't it. Oh, God help us if this is it, right? Never stop learning. Second one, so hungry to learn. A noble heart understands that you need to be prepared. Sometimes it's as though in our entitlement age, we wander into things and we go, hey, um, employer or pastor or whoever, I'm here. You may use me. Uh, wonderful. What gifts have you got? I was born with them. Right. Lovely. I'm ready to be used. And what, uh, what experience have you had? Oh, lots. How old are you? 14. 
I want to know, have you died a few times on the inside? Have you, have you been through pain? Have you had to forgive people that have been really, really bad to you? Because only when you've gone through that kind of stuff, have you got a heart that's oiling up with the realities of heaven meeting a real life? Preparation, Esther wanted to go see the king. 12 months in oils and perfumes, preparation. Don't object to the preparation stage. If we don't get our foundation right, we'll never live this life for God. You've got to have the hiddenness of foundations. I mean, I've been working towards getting into my house and we're, we're just finishing it off now for six months. I've got to be honest, it's been boring to go back and look at the foundation. Because I know there'll come a day when we won't actually sit around thinking about foundations. If you've done it right, you'll never even think about it in the end. But you'll always be glad you did it. I dug into my foundation and I got myself a noble heart. Because the first thing I did was admit I was born with an ignoble heart. I'm selfish. I'm fearful. I'm easily frustrated and worried. So I put all that before God and I let him get his scalpel out and put a line through my heart, open it up and work on giving me a new heart. God, get our hearts. Amen. Preparation. Here's a third one. You're going to love it even more. Tested. A noble heart knows that it needs to be tested. Abraham. God tested Abraham. God watched Cain and Abel's worship. You think about that. God's watching the stuff that we do. Jesus sat once watching them give money to the offering. Can you imagine doing that today? I think, I think we'll take the offering later. We'll put the bucket here and I'll just sit. And I'll just... I mean, how many of you would hate me for that? But Jesus did it. Go, mm, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. And it was kind of, yeah, but you've got a lot of money anyway. What's that to you? Then this little widow comes up. It's all about the heart. This little widow comes up, puts a little bit in and he goes, can you imagine doing this? I let you all come and give your offering. And then I went, oh, by the way, uh, she gave the most. And there's some of you written checks with five figures on going, um, I don't think that's true. I just did you a favor, pastor. God's looking at the heart. It, it, loads of stuff in life is testing us. Is it not? It's testing us. James 1 uh, says, consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Consider it joy. Why? Oh, God, it's hard, isn't it? I'll keep preaching it. One day we'll get it. Oh, Lord. One day I will be joyful in trials, right? Consider it nothing but joy. He's nuts, James is. My brothers and sisters, when you fall into various trials, fall. In other words, yeah, let's trip them up every now and then and see what's inside them. That's what God did with Peter. He tripped him up to see what was inside him. Why? Did God need to know? Peter needed to know. We go through stuff because we need to know. And I'll be honest, the first test you go, oh, I flunked that. But life gets better as you realise, ah, I passed that. I didn't punch their lights out when they said that that time. Oh, great. I don't have to have three months in jail again. I'm actually controlling my anger issues, right? Consider it joy when you fall into trials. Why? Because the testing of your faith, that's what he's testing, produces endurance. A couple of scriptures from Timothy, they'll come up behind me. 1 Timothy 3.10, it says, if you're making men deacons, that's practical help. It says, they must first be tested. Then if they're found blameless and beyond reproach, let them serve as deacons. First, tested. Can I be honest, in church life, 
If I went up to someone and said, we're just testing you. Well, I think you got your answer right there. The kind of mutter and this is discipleship. A disciple goes, test me. Try me out. Entitlement wants to come in and sing the songs and goes, use me. Disciple goes, test me. Let's find out what's in my heart. Study and do your best to present yourself to God. Approved, a workman, tested by trial, joy of joys. Who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. We need to have hearts that are open to go, right, I'm, I'm being tested. I'm being tested. The next one, connection. A noble heart desires connection. A disconnected heart cannot grow in God. But listen, the whole point of discipleship is Jesus said, right, I choose you, Bob, to be with me. That was his first point of discipleship. He, Jesus wanted connection to disciple. It required engagement. Think about the very first team. Who was the first team? First people on the planet. Went from a Lone Ranger show to, mm, it's not good that he's on his own. The laundry's building up. Quick, we need to make a woman. <laughs> I think I just failed a test. <laughs> Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Thankfully, Vicky's not on the front row. The first team, Adam and Eve, Matthew Henry said this, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. The first team wanted connection. Every other team wants it still. What the leaders want, sons, peers, pals, team, let's do this. Yeah. Nobody wants tasks. People want connection. Yeah. Don't give your hands to your church. Give your heart to this body. Give your heart, connect. Because yeah. right? it's still all about, and that's where true discipleship takes place. We learn so much through the task, but we learn so much more through a life lived together. Amen. So uh, a noble heart seeks connection, is not disengaged. A noble heart has a trained tongue. I've told you before about the time I was on a, on a short-term contract with a place. I must have been about 19, 18 years, and I was 18 years old. And I was rude to my boss. I, it was just a cheeky thing. And I was a bit rude. I was a bit naughty. It, it, just in a kind of jokey way, you know, like you do. Guess whose contract wasn't renewed? Uh, because we've got to train our tongues. You see, uh, those, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Those who love it, appreciate it, will eat its fruit. I ate the fruit of what I said. I ate the fruit of talking like a dipstick. Understand this. Your tongue is extremely powerful. It's going to get you places. If you can't pay a compliment you're going to struggle in life. If you can't say some nice things to people, listen, nobody hugs a porcupine. Our distance from people is often self-inflicted. Teach your tongue to create bridges. Teach your tongue to draw others close. Don't give, listen, oh, for God's sake, please, don't give your opinion. 
most of the time, all that's required is your approval. We think, my opinion's really important. It's really not. Your approval is far more powerful than your opinion. A friend bought a car and then told another friend. And he said, hey, I've bought this car. And this guy's a bit of a car buff. He said, what'd you buy that for? That's a heap of rubbish. What, what, what are you doing buying that car? And so the guy went back. He said, hey, you never got what so-and-so bought. He told his wife, this rubbish car. And she looked at him and said, you didn't tell him it was rubbish, did you? Of course I did. He said, you idiot. He'd already bought it. He did not need your opinion. He was seeking your approval. You go back and apologize because your opinion changed nothing other than distance the friendship. We think to live in reality, I've always got to give my opinion. No! Number one, because half the time we're wrong. Number two, because most of the time it doesn't matter. Build bridges, build connections, build engagement, build love, build encouragement. Be nice. And some people are like, well, I don't know how to be nice. For heaven's sake, you're 45. You should have learned it at 25. I get it if you're 17 and you don't know how to say that was really good. I love you. I appreciate you. But by 45, your lips should have learned how to form the words. I think you're great. I think you're lovely. You should have the ability to lie. <laughs> to look at that awful jacket and go, that's wonderful. It suits you. <laughs> Pay compliments. Encourage. Don't give your opinion everywhere. We just make ourselves feel small. Look small. Behave small. But a noble heart realizes, right, the first thing that matters, it's like a, a bank account I'm going to fill in every relationship. The first thing that matters is not what I think of them, not what I can pull apart. Criticism is easy. It comes easily out of an ignoble heart. We can all pull apart everything all the time. My mum said to me the other day, what did you think of so-and-so? We were talking about something, and I just said it was rubbish. It was awful. Instantly came out. It's easy to pull anything apart, isn't it? Right? You can pull me apart. Guess what? I can pull you apart. Doesn't help anybody. But if we realize, actually, the first thing I need is a really full, emotional, loving, encouraging bank account with this person. So for every opinion I give them, I'm going to give them 10 approvals. You did great. I love you. I think you're fantastic. You're really good at that. I'm going to find 10 approvals before I ever give an opinion. Why? Because you've got to build the relationship before the relationship can cope with truth. A noble heart has given itself a trained tongue. Because your tongue will build the house you live in. And if you're demoted, it's normally self-inflicted. If we're on our own, it's normally self-inflicted. But when we use our tongues to connect, to just say, right, give ourselves a trained tongue. Off the back of that, we're secure enough for truth. I remember watching a Hillsong pastor preach, one of the young Hillsong pastors, and he's preaching to 20,000 people. And uh, his pastor, of course, is Brian Houston, one of the world's most famous pastors. And this young pastor was saying, you know, um, talking about his life, and, and Brian Houston was his mentor, and he, he, he was talking about the fact that he said, so do you, do you really talk to me about stuff, Brian? Are you really open and honest with me? And uh, Brian said, oh, oh, no, 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 I can't be honest with you. Realize people can't be honest with you until you step into a certain place of a noble heart. Yeah. 
Well, why can't you be honest with me? Well, because as soon as I say, as soon as I say anything negative, you're a bit of a drama queen. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I can live without that in my life. And he stood there going, can you believe it? I'm coached by one of the world's greatest pastors. And he could not tell me, your preaching was a bit off. You need to tidy this up. Just improve that and you'll fly in life. Because I was a drama queen. A noble heart is secure enough for truth. Now, this can only come by engagement and all the stuff I've said before. But we need to get our hearts to the place where we can cope with truth. Otherwise, we'll never be discipled. Because if all we can handle is approval, we've got a problem. Essentially, all a leader can do is maneuver people to the place of least damage. That most fits who they are and hopefully the things that we can't talk about in their lives because the Bible says, don't, don't correct a mocker, they'll hate you. Correct a wise person, they'll love you, Proverbs says. So your reaction to correction shows me whether you're a fool or wise. A wise person goes, thank you, I'm going to think about that. A fool blows up and leaves the church. <laughs> a heart that is open to truth. This scripture should come up behind me. It's the, the book of Hebrews. And it says, let me read it from, be, from behind. Have we got it? It says this, you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature. If we can't handle truth, it's because we don't grasp the concept of righteousness. What does that mean? Righteousness means this, you're in right standing with God and with others. Therefore, when you're in right standing, we can cope with meat. Who's ready for some meat? Who's ready for the soil to be turned over? Come on, I want some meaty conversations in my life. That requires a sense of righteousness. What's that? It's this, I'm completely loved. I think I'm a work of art, but I'm still in process and people are going to say stuff to me to help me grow. I've got a mentor, I've got a coach, I'm accountable. People can talk to me about the hard stuff. Not just go, you're wonderful, you're wonderful, but also, you know, smile a bit. Deodorant, use it. <laughs> just think about it for a minute. Sometimes little truths could transform your world, right? Russell Crowe, when he was young, he bashed one of his front teeth out. And he, got, he, he was trying for acting parts all the time. But he'd bashed one of his front teeth out. I think it was playing rugby, something like that. And, um, but he thought, yeah, it looks cool. I won't get it fixed. And he kept going for all these Parts, what do you do? Readings and all that. And what's it called when you go for a... auditions? That's right. He's going for all these auditions. And he's like, I couldn't understand why I was flunking, flunking. I didn't get any parts, nothing, nothing at all. Then I went for this one thing and, and the guy, uh, you know, he, he, he did the audition. And then the guy said, really, really good. I really like you. Listen, and this was the first brave leader that said, I'm going to engage. And it changes life. See, a little bit of truth changes life. He said, that's brilliant. I really like you. There's only one problem. Sometimes it's finding the word, isn't it? This part that I've got for you has got all his teeth. <laughs> what do you think we can do about that? And they go, well, I, 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 I could get my teeth fixed. <laughs> and he said, funnily enough, he'd go for audition after audition afterwards. He'd get part after part after part after part. Somebody had to bold, be bold enough to say, because we've got blind spots, haven't we? All of us. Somebody has to go, it's your front tooth, you dippy. You're a good actor, but you need a full set of gnashes. 
truth. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. It's normally a little lie that's holding us in a pen. And we're going, why is no one trusting me? Why is no one raising me? Why is no one using me? Why is God not favoring me? One little word of truth and we fly. We need to be able to have a heart that copes with truth. Amen? We've got to have a heart that's loyal. We've got to know how to connect with people. You know, loyalty requires backbone, does it not? Because uh, you, you, you can't be friends with the whole world. Proverbs says, uh, a man with too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. If you're going through life trying to be a peacekeeper, trying to keep everybody your friend, because we haven't got backbone enough to say, I don't agree with that. That's incorrect. We've got to have backbone. T.D. Jake's great man of God. He said, um, he said I'm a, I'm a, I can't do T.D. Jake's lisp. Anybody can do the lisp? T.D. Jake forgot little lisp. And he said, I'm a man of God and I'll, I'll be gracious. But he said, but you talk about my mama? He said, I will leap on you like a bear and pull your eyes out. got to learn loyalty you you can't destroy a leader's leader if you come to me and talk about my leaders you're out of the zone of me using you if you talk about my family you're out of the zone of me using you learn loyalty says i'm with you thick or thin you got this lovely story of ruth and orpah and naomi and ruth uh means friend and Orpah means the one who turns back. And Naomi, who's the mother, go read the book of Ruth, right? Naomi, who's the mother, uh, what does her name mean? Pleasant, I think it means. I've got it written here. Yeah, it means pleasant. So Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, they all lose their husbands. And life gets bitter. Say bitter. So Naomi changes her name to Mara, which means bitter. So now Naomi, who is the, the older one, the matriarch now, this little leftover family, life gets bitter. And Orpah lives up to her name and turns back. Ruth lives up to her name and says, no, I'm a friend. I'm a companion. And her loyalty gets her a book in the Bible named after her. It wasn't named after Naomi. It was named after the loyal one. You want to get on God's good books? Show strength and loyalty to the house of God, to the people of God, to the leaders of God, to the place where God's put you, and you'll find blessing resting. But that requires backbone, because sometimes in life you do have to go, that's wrong, this is right. That's God, that's the devil. I'm sticking with God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. Loyalty, everybody say loyalty. We've got to understand loyalty and boy, oh boy, oh, and loads of other stuff and all that and all, yeah, brilliant, I'm running out of time and let's move towards that. We've got to be faithful. We've got to be, oh, this is an interesting one, heavenly minded. Got to be heavenly minded. Um, can you bring up Mark 8? It's one of the scriptures, probably a few on. I know I've got the PowerPoint for it there. It says, it's Jesus. It says, he then began to teach them that the Son of God, the Son of Man, sorry, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, right? And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter rebuked Jesus. Dipstick, right? Verse 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. He rebuked Peter. 
Not enough rebuking in church, is there? No, please don't say that. No. But, you know, listen, when you go read the Gospels, it's tough. The discipleship culture is really tough. But here's the thing that they had that enabled them for it. They were close. You can only have this kind of language up close, right? So it's just, I'm just letting the language go out there. I'm not saying we're starting a revival of rebuking. Rebuke church, everybody come, you know. Be- get cheered up every Sunday. When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, listen to this, he rebuked Peter, because this is what I'm actually getting to. He said, get behind me, Satan. You know it, right? He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Can you see from this scripture? Get behind me, Satan. You're thinking like a human. Humanizing everything is satanic. Let's humanize our relationships. Let's humanize what we gather here to do. Let's humanize it from worship into singing. Let's humanize it from preaching, which I believe in the anointing to preach the word of God that transforms life. Let's humanize it from preaching into lecture. Let's humanize it from from connections and real relationships into I go to church. Don't humanize this. This is something divine. The church is the hope of the world. There's anointing from heaven in this place. There's angels in this room. There's anointing that can set you free. But in our dullness, we humanize the world around about us. And listen, oh, please don't humanize yourself. Don't just think, well, what do I think with a little bit of improvement that I could achieve? Listen, if you're thinking like that, that's the devil. People of God think, if I get my heart noble, anything's possible. Because this clay vessel can be filled with glory. God can put me places I couldn't even dream. I don't care how old you are. I don't care where you're getting in life. Begin to realize anything's possible with God. His power of transformation is so great. Don't live down here. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows. But Where do you go? I go to that revived church. Well, you look full of life. Why, thank you. I mean, if you start out like that, fine. But listen, imagine what it'd be like if a year later you meet the same person. And you stood up tall. And you finally got a bit of a beard going on. <laughs> a little bit of paint in your hair because you've been doing DIY. And they go, what happened to you? I met God at Revive Church. I opened my heart to some brilliant advice. Listen, my career has gone through the youth, through the, through the youth, through the roof. <laughs> my, 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 my influence has expanded. God has touched my finances. If God doesn't change your bank balance, he isn't real to you yet. In some area, you're humanizing all this. If you are living according to your means instead of his, that's demonic. I mean, I have a miracle working God whose name is provider. If you're planning every year based on what you can afford, you're in trouble. But if you're planning every year based on what he can afford and what his wisdom says to you and going, right, we're taking a step of faith. Listen, if you've not got some steps of faith this year, you're dying on the inside. Have something right now in you that's making you nervous that you've got to pray about. That You say, God, I've got to get and keep a noble heart. I'm expecting miracles in my future because this is no human journey. God is alive. God is real. He's a person transformer. What he did for people in the past, he'll do in my life. God's real. And when we humanize it, it's the work of the devil. The devil won't come to you with a pitchfork and a big tail and horns and all slimy and smelly going, oh, this is what the devil sounds like. The devil sounds like this. You can't afford that. 
Will you always be sick? Well, you're a depressive. Your mum was a depressive. Your dad was a depressive. You're going to live on those pills forever. That's what the devil sounds like. You won't be normal if you stop taking them. The devil, all he does is talk like a human and say, did God say? But man cannot live by human bread alone, but by every word that goes into a plowed, noble heart and life revive takes place inside of us get a noble heart line yourself up for a miracle let him turn your heart over let him do open heart surgery on you listen there are miracles to be had it's in the air the amount of people that have gone to heaven and i'm not saying this is theologically correct or not but they've walked into into places in heaven and had visions of great storehouses and they walk in and it's not been gruesome it's been been clean but there's been eyes and legs and arms and stuff like that there and and they say in different accounts one says to jesus another says to an angel what are all these parts well these are human body parts that people aren't believing me for there's no faith for it so then this storehouse should be empty but nobody wants it what what money is waiting in heaven for you? What healing is waiting in heaven for you? What anointing is waiting in heaven for you? What blessing on your prayer life is waiting in heaven for you? And the moment we get out of human thinking and we realise this is a divine journey, God is God and He's alive. And sometimes, listen, sometimes He's actually going to meet you in your darkest day, not your brightest. Jacob was lying with his head on a stone pillow running away from life and God met him. Isaiah was in the temple, probably weeping because the king had died and God met him. John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's out there. He's imprisoned. He's, he's, he's what do you call it when you send someone away? Exiled on Patmos. I mean, he, he'd rather be changing the world with all the other apostles. And he's sat there and he's got nothing else to do but be in the spirit on the day of the Lord. And he has visions of heaven that echo through eternity. So listen, don't humanize your hard time. Don't humanize your hard time. Count it joy when you fall into trials because glory's about to come. When it's darkest day is about to come. When it's hardest breakthrough is about to come. Expect breakthrough. People need healing. Expect breakthrough in your life in Jesus' name. And you might go, well, what's the... Jared, you've talked a lot. <laughs> you might go, what's the most important one? What's the one thing that transforms all the others? I would say this, a noble heart, the most attractive thing to heaven and to any leader that's looking to build a church like heaven. It's like David. Samuel, with God's help, passed over brother after brother after brother after brother after brother after brother and then said, is there another one? This just something's missing. Well, there's one out with the sheep being faithful, doing what he's told to do. They brought David and God said, that's the one. He's a man after my own heart. If you want to have one thing that's above all others, it says, have a heart that runs after God. I was in a conference the other, the other day, the other week, and the leader, uh, one of the guys that was speaking, leads a church of probably about 30,000 people. And he said, every month I say to my staff, I don't need an administrator or a creative person or a pastor. If you are not in love with Jesus, 
you're not meant to be here. The most powerful thing you can bring to any party is a passionate, vibrant, all-out love for God. I am aflame with passion for my God. Let me tell you, when you get that one, all these others fall into place. All these others are easy. If you've got a heart after God, Revelation, John gets that, 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 that vision in Revelation. And he says to the, to the first church, you've lost your first love of everything that you have. Make sure you're in love with him, with every fiber of your being. And I'm not going to say if you're not, I'm going to say when you're not. Because I'll be blunt with you. I fall out of love with God all the time. I'm going to be real. Because only reality helps. The truth sets us free. What do you do when you sense your heart going dull? You fall on your face and you cry out, grace of God, help me. I cannot live a day without your love in my heart. Grace of God, give me passion for prayer. Give me passion for your word. Give me passion for people. Give me passion for compassion. Give me love for people. Give me forgiveness in my heart. Give me peace. Give me faith. Lift me up. God, I do not want to live dull. I want my heart running after you. I don't want to be the lukewarm one that gets spat out of your mouth. There's a phrase in those early uh, epistles there uh, in Revelation, those letters to the churches. And, it, and he talks about them being lukewarm. He says this phrase, you think you're alive, but you're dead. Because wow. I go and I sit in the pew and I sing the songs and I go to an alive church. Therefore, I'm alive. No, it's you and your heart before God. Cry out to be aflame with love for God and every other trait in a noble heart falls into place. Be a man or a woman running after God's heart.